Hi, my name is Edmund. You are now listening to Cultivating the Masses. On this episode of Season 3, we have Edmund Tan, who is the founder of Inside Scoop, an established premium ice cream chain that aims to provide top quality flavors to their customers as well as introducing the taste of Malaysia into everyone's favorite dessert. Join us as we explore his journey growing his business during the lockdown. My name is Bradley Tipa Onia Baringan and welcome to Cultivating the Masses. All right, good morning, Edmund. Welcome to the studio, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah, last week, Afik told us that we're going to be having you on the show. And I'm like, wait, who's Edmund Tan again? And he's like, he's the founder of Inside Scoop. And I'm like, holy shit, we're interviewing Inside Scoop founder right now? And I, I was so excited about it. Why are you excited uh, about it? No, like, to be honest, like, because it's such an established brand and I feel like there's a lot of story behind it and from the research that we did there's okay. definitely a lot of story okay. behind it right so I was so excited I was going around with my friends and I'm asking them is there any questions you guys want to ask to Edmund okay. the founder of Inside School okay. yeah like I said there's so much story to uh, talk about and I feel like I'm very interested to know your journey into okay. this particular okay. field right okay. so based on our research you're not a culinary person to begin with, no, right? No, I'm not. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, you did some sort of investment banking. Yeah, thing. so I graduated when I went to school in uni. I basically did accounting and finance, mm. like super Asian, super China, <laughs> super Chinese family, right? I didn't become a doctor. I didn't right. become a lawyer. I didn't become an accountant. I became a banker. Okay, la, not bad. La. Yeah. I still up there. So I went to school. I did accounting and finance. And then when I graduated, I went into a banking job. I worked in a bank the same bank actually for 10 years doing different banking roles largely all in investment banking from advisory to M&A to client coverage to my last job was in mm. capital markets right and then you went into Inside Scoop you met your current wife right yes. and you said that you want to build her an ice cream empire. Was that true? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a r- marketing romantic story, right? It's, it's a romantic story that works. Yeah, why right. not? No, th- jokes aside, she really likes ice cream. Mm. Like even today, we, I think yesterday we ate Magnum and then the day before we had uh, Ben and Jerry's at home. So we actually still eat a lot of ice cream despite working in an ice cream factory, despite testing ice cream almost on a every other day basis so it's something really good in fact yesterday night we were trialing like different versions of our uh, cookies and cream ice cream at home so at, at 10 o'clock at night after work so we actually wow. still really really like ice cream Shuli really likes ice cream so she the, the, the marketing spin or the story was I wanted to build her an ice cream empire and then right. decided halfway through she's got to work for it and that's right. how she got involved in the business la. that's right. the that's the romantic story around it la. definitely how did this came about was it really because the love of ice cream or was there any like different spark that actually started this whole thing or was it purely because the love for ice cream so when I was working I knew that at some point in time I was always going to do my own thing at some point in time right. the question is what was that thing and when so very early on in my career I've really started planning around it financially planning around it from a skill set standpoint just to make sure that I try different things throughout my banking career don't stay in one job don't be a specialist get as much experience as I can and then when the opportunity came about I would take it at that point in time, the sexy thing to do was to go into tech. When I was considering doing my own thing, like seriously, it was like 2008, 9, 10. At that time, it was just after the financial crisis globally. Malaysia mm-hmm. wasn't as badly affected. I always thought it was going to be something along the lines of whether it's private advisory or whether it's tech or whether it's manufacturing. Right. Then came along an idea of ice cream. 
at that point in time, we noticed that in Malaysia, premium ice cream category right. in Malaysia was largely served by the foreign brands. And we felt that there's a gap that we could do something. Like, can we use the local stuff and make things really interesting for right. Malaysians? And that's how it came along. We saw a rise of the artisanal brands in Malaysia and the acceptance of that price mm. range. So the guys like, you know, first of all, people were willing to pay like 15 bucks, 20 bucks for a Starbucks. I think that's the first thing. Right. Then the second part was also the rise of like the brands like Burger Lab. You know, people are happy mm. to pay $25, $20, $25 for a burger. At that point in time, I thought that was quite a good thing. And the market was getting that sort of acceptance already for that sort of price range mm -hmm. and they want that sort of product so we came in we started our first store in Bangsa and then slowly organically we saw the opportunity and we just continued chugging yeah. along right so prior to like opening your store right what was the process like what was the like how many months did you actually spend on research and development only? Shuli would that, claim yeah. Shuli would claim her entire lifetime right. <laughs> because she started eating ice cream at like two or three o'clock, uh, right. two or three, two or three years old. Uh, there is some truth to that. There is some truth to that. It does take quite a fair bit of time to develop the palette. Take quite a fair bit of time to develop what people like. But hardcore work like Hardcore work probably three to six months. At that point in time, my business partner Derek he had access to an ice cream machine in Singapore. We were still mm. all based in Singapore at that point in time. Right. So we just mucked around with the machine in, in uh, when I was still based in Singapore. I took a six-month sabbatical from the bank on my, on my ninth year. And during that sabbatical, I played around with the machine, decided that it's something that we want to do. The real work started when we signed the first lease or our first shop house. Mm. Then that one was really like everything just accelerated and then we had to count him everything in three months. Uh. Right. I heard that Shuli actually went all the way to Italy to take a three-week course. Yes. Yeah. So that was part of the three-month process. When we signed the lease, I was doing the renovation here. She went to Italy to learn. Uh, she was already quite, you know, on the ball with regards to the ice cream machine because she mucked around with it a bit. But she also just went to Italy to learn it more officially or more professionally. La. Yeah, so she went to Italy for three weeks, went to a gelato course and... Uh, our ice creams as of today are still like gelato inspired gelato right. based uh, using fresh ingredients to the extent that we can right so you did mention just now you wanted to come up with an ice cream product that is very localized right so yeah. I want to know like what are some of the biggest challenge that you have faced coming up with local recipes such as chumpada and durian and first and that. foremost is the nutrition fact it's not widely used so how it actually reacts in ice cream we have to do the R&D on our own the second bit is utilizing uh, smaller non-factory produced ingredients. For example, we use uh, we used to use santan that is extracted by this uncle in, in mm. Tamantun Market early in the morning and we get right, it in the afternoon. Right. Or we get it at one o'clock. There are definitely some challenges there. Mm. Like, you know, the coconut turns sour la, and we realized that the trick was to soak the coconut milk in ice water mm. as opposed to just sending it ambient and all those things. So there's a bit of a learning curve for us right. because as you mentioned, we're not culinary based. And then the more interesting ingredients to us are like gula malaka, but we don't go and buy gula malaka from a big brand. Mm. we go and buy it from some small market somewhere in the right. middle of nowhere and this uncle makes amazing gula malaka we're happy for three months and in the middle of nowhere he says oh no stop for the next three months I'm like what? great guy, uh, great uncle thanks for the heads up but what's going on oh it's because during hot season I don't make gula malaka because it's too hot and the sugar doesn't set I'm uh. like oh okay uh, that's a problem oh. so we, we didn't actually plan for that and then this uncle also makes it like a more traditional way. La. So mm. sometimes you get your random honeybees or your wasp in the gula malaka and then you get, we turn it into ice cream and then people see it and then we go like, is that a cockroach? 
Wait, does not, that actually happen? Yeah, it actually happens oh. because I don't know how they do it, but they extract the sap and then after it sets in something and then it's like almost exposed in the in the bamboo before they cut it. Mm. So sometimes, you know, a wasp or a bee actually gets in there and it's just the reality of it at that point in time when we right. were using that product. Like we didn't have a process to filter it out. So, yeah, so things like that. Because we want to use this sort of like heritage artisanal inputs as opposed to utilizing, you know, a product from a big factory that is, yeah. I mean, you can never really go wrong with Gula Melaka, man. Like, can really mix anything with it to be honest <laughs> uh, yes and no yes and no we we actually had a mock-up a few weeks ago on uh, on the Gula Mulaka sauce where we mixed it with a bit of neutral glaze and then, it, yeah, and then it turned out a bit too sour and <laughs> we thought it was spoiled so you can't actually go wrong but oh, okay. yeah, these, are, these are all these all are right. all things that these are, these these are all new. things that we go along because we, we we were not in ice cream manufacturing before and then we right. are like using all these ingredients in our products we it's just it's just a journey like, mm. I look at it as a journey it's fun you know there'll be screw ups here and there mm. but we just have a process to go and solve the, right. the issues as we go along right. I find it really interesting the fact that you know both of you and your partner don't really have a background in culinary right but you do have passion for, for food from mm. what I've heard right mm, mm. you enjoy cooking yeah. and she really enjoys ice cream but to see that you guys have made such a huge name in the industry for the past eight years, what do you think made Inside Scoop stand out? And how did you manage to actually capture the hearts of the local market? I think the first and foremost is that we are very focused on our product. I think every F&B brand does the same. Unfortunately or fortunately, some do it better than others. So we we are very grateful and very glad that whatever that we like and whatever that we put out in the market is generally well-liked by our customers. Mm. So that is by far, I think, the most important bit. The second bit is also the experience when you walk into a inside scoop store or an ice cream bar store. The experience is always one of, you know, warm, friendly, people that you actually want to serve you, right? So that's that, that to me, those are the two prongs that we really focus a lot of our energy and right. money on. We also noticed that you really prioritize the team that you have in your company as well. Do you think that is also a contributing factor to the kind of success that you have made? For sure, the team plays a big part if not the most important part in the, in everything that we mm. do because if we are a one shop it's just me and Shuli running it then sure you can do whatever you want right but at this juncture uh, at this sort of size or where we want to be in future uh, it's actually just our, the people around mm. us the people that we surround ourselves with because they are the ones doing the work we are not the ones yeah. doing the day-to-day work right. anymore we are the ones leading managing hiring training and unfortunately firing as well uh, when, <laughs> right. when, when the time comes but yeah it's, it's largely the team that pulls the weight right mm. like we are not single-handedly the best marketeer we are not single-handedly the best taste person we're not single-handedly right. the best operations person it's mm. the guys that are doing the job on a day-to-day basis that continues to execute on our behalf yeah i really look up to it you know because i feel like the narrative in a lot of places these days is that they they tend to focus on profit 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 and they don't really care what their employee are thinking about you know and i feel like there's something definitely that needs to be changed inside i I don't know how that works right but seeing like big brands like inside scoop really prioritize the health of their employees you know the well-being of their employees really I would say shine a light of hope, if you might say the way, in changing the narratives of that. I mean, yes, profit is important, right? And it's definitely what grows the business. But at the end of the day, I feel like if you neglect your team's well-being, it could actually lead to the downfall of the business as well, you know? Because I've been in a lot of 
uh, just to share with you a little bit of my background, I've been with a lot of uh, startup companies, if you might say that way. And the one thing I noticed is that they're all about profit. And no matter how much they say that they're not just about profit, we care about our stuff, but their action doesn't really reflect their words. And I want to know, like, from your standpoint, right, what are some of the things that you feel like you did well in terms of cultivating this culture of taking care of my stuff? That's an interesting question, right? If you ask me today, Edmund, are you happy with the way that the company treats all your employees? I would say I would give myself a B-. minus. Why is that? I won't even give myself an A because there's so much more that we can still do. I, I don't know what, what angle you're looking at it from. Are you looking at it from a monetary policy, like from a monetary remuneration standpoint? Are you looking from a work-life balance standpoint? Are you working looking more from personal development standpoint? Mm. So different categories of employees also require different skill sets and different motivations to manage. For example, if you don't have enough food on the table, you are never going to worry about what is personal development? You're not going to worry right. about future career growth. You're going to worry about, okay, do I have enough money at the end of this month? Mm -hmm. So that is a strategy there that we have to put in place in order to pay our guys at least above average wage for their job. I think that's my first priority at the moment. So we're very proud to say that, you know, I, I don't think there's anyone in our company, maybe one or two, that is paid less than 2,000 ringgit. Even true to cleaners, yeah, we're talking about even 3D job. There are some people in smaller towns that are paid a bit lower than that, like maybe 1,008 or something, but it's already way above the market in that particular segment. So I would actually like that number to be more because if you look at it from a top-bottom standpoint, a person needs like in certain neighborhoods, call it like a salary of 30,000 ringgit a year. That is what they need to survive. And I think that's what we would like to do to be able to pay them what they need to survive as opposed to live in, uh, uh, not say live in an unsavory condition, but barely making enough to survive. Right. I think that would be the word that I would use. If it were my way, from a remuneration standpoint, I would like to even take it off the equation. That means all our employees have more than enough that they need to survive mm -hmm. so that they can worry about the next step, which is, productivity, efficiency, and personal growth. Right. For our HQ team, executive team generally, uh, that's done quite well. The motivation there is, yes, remuneration, we pay slightly above market, but we give them a lot of room to make mistakes and also to develop their own career and to make the mistakes that they want to make. So I think that's quite an important factor in how we manage people because they constantly feel challenged mm. and they actually um, discover themselves in the process and learn a lot in that process. Does it cost us money? It does because mistakes are bound to happen. Right. But we accept that mistakes will happen, right? Mm. We accept that mistakes will happen. So we, we have that infrastructure set up for them to discover themselves, to make those mistakes and then continue to improve. Huh? Right. Speaking of mistakes, from what I'm hearing right now, you are the kind of person that takes mistakes as a very serious problem, but not in a negative manner, but that is something that you can improve on, right? Speaking of that, I want to ask you, like, we know that for a fact that you take feedback very seriously to improve your products and services, mm, right? Mm. But one thing that we want to know is what were some of the feedbacks or some of the mistakes that you have done in the past running this business for eight years and how did that feedback or mistakes affect your business? Okay. Yeah. I put feedback in a category of if the customer is telling you something is wrong, it is mm. your chance to revive the situation. 
So I actually welcome all forms of feedback, be it on product, service, right. even the way that I carry myself on uh, mm. on interviews. I've actually had that feedback before. And when you look like a whatever, you, you say really? this. Yeah, I've, I've had that before. <laughs> I've had that before. You say these sort of things, but you're not consistent with, uh, with, with with it in total. So I'm like, okay, that's that's interesting. At least there's a point of view out there, but that's fine. Take it in, internalize it, and decide whether it is consistent with your company values or not. Mm. I think first and foremost, if there is a screw up, fix the screw up, right? Like if there's a mess up, fix it immediately. But not every single feedback needs to be actioned upon, especially if it's not consistent with your values. And sometimes the feedback may be too ahead of the market or too before the market. So always segregate the feedback. Take the good ones especially. Read all feedback actually. Read all feedback. Take the ones that you can actually have control over that you want to change that makes you a better person or makes the company better. But recognize that there will also be some feedback that you cannot action upon mm. and don't get too distracted by it especially if it's inconsistent with your values because there will be some level of feedback right. that, that will be there as well like, but focus on the things that you can action and is good for the company in totality and also for the people around you would it be okay if i were to ask for some of the examples that a feedback that you have gotten that you don't have control on okay i'll give you an example that is that there's still a feedback that we get quite frequently our ice creams, when we first started, had a certain level of sweetness. Mm. I would say 9 out of 10 people have no issues with the sweetness. Maybe 1 out of 10 may have an issue with the sweetness. And unfortunately or fortunately, it's more often than not the 1 out of 10 that will make it known to us that, hey, your ice creams is too sweet. Right. But over time, we actually do adjust it downwards slowly, but not too quickly and too drastically. Mm, mm, mm. So it's one of those examples where it's a tasting it's how I like my products to be yeah. and how 90% of the customers like the products to be. But you're hearing that 10% or yeah, that 10 or 15% of the customers that are saying, hey, your product is too sweet. Like, right. I'm not coming back ever again. Right. Like, we've, we've had that sort of inverted comma hate mail, right? Mm. So how do we balance that up? Because if you cut the sweetness too much, 85% of the customers are happy with the product. How do you manage to do, how do you manage to satisfy that remaining 15%? Mm. And what do you have to do? Like? So we recognize that, okay, maybe it's a bit on the sweet side, but let's not be too drastic about it. Let's tune it down over time. Every six months, every one year. The recipe that we first started with and now is actually quite different. So there's a lot of uh, changes that has happened along gradual, the way. Gradual, gradual. Yeah. We, can't, we can't be too drastic about it because right. if you eat durian ice cream today and it's this level of sweetness, let's say it's 100, and then you come again next week, hey, it's only 60. Yeah. It makes the 15% customer happy, but unfortunately, when you come in, you want that sugar shot and then you go like, hey, it's not as good anymore. Yeah. yeah. Because at the end of the day, ice cream is sugared milk. Yeah. I'm not going to kid, I'm not going to kid <laughs> you, right? It is sugared milk. Right. Well, I guess that makes me part of the 90%, I would say. <laughs> because the other day, I went to try some of that durian ice cream. Man, I fell in love right away. To be, But to be honest, right? I think, that was my first time trying it out because my girlfriend really loves ice cream, right? Yeah. She's like, let's go get some ice cream. Let's go get some ice cream. Okay, okay. let's find some nearby. So we went to get one at Taipan. Uh, USJ, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, the one in USJ. The first bite, she bought it for herself. But the first bite I took, I'm like, can we get another one, please? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because yeah, like, I think for me, I, I definitely fall under that 90%. <laughs> yeah, so, I so no I, I, I'm the man. same, I'm the same, right? Like for example, when I when I drink teh tare, I want it full sweetness. Right. But if I want it, if I want it to be healthy, I'll drink half. Ah. I, I want I want the full flavor, I'll just drink less of it. 
Yeah, so again, it's a different philosophy. Some people say that I want to drink the same quantity, but uh, make it less sweet or no sugar right. or whatever, which is fine for them. But like, yeah, when I drink my kopi peng, like from Tonki, or when I, when I go to Mama and I want to drink my teh tarik, right. seriously, man. Yeah. <laughs> drink half, la, drink half. For me, it's drink half. That's my philosophy at least. So, so that's that's one of the feedback that we still get pretty often. And we take that in. It's not that we ignore the customer. Right. It's just a matter of how do we manage that situation. Mm. So I'm guessing that kopi peng idea from the ice cream is definitely your idea. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. for sure, for sure. Right. So we did a little bit of stalking on your Instagram and we found that a recent post that you guys are bringing back the Ramadan ice cream buffet. Yes. Right. I mean, it's 2021, right? Clearly, things are not really going well for us, right? We need to make sure social distancing is a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The virus is spreading around. And when I first saw that post, I thought that, isn't it dangerous to host like a big event like that? But I noticed as well, it was a drive-in buffet, yes. right? Uh, my question to you is, how did the idea of hosting a drive-in buffet came about? So this is where the team comes into play, right? We used to host Ramadan buffet every year for mm. the last uh, three years, barring 2020. And it was good fun. It was it was just really good fun. It was for Buka Puasa at 7.30. You get a queue out the door. Everybody comes and gorge themselves in ice cream. The average scoop, you know, you eat six, seven scoops and you have a good time. You get sugar high and people leave happy. Mm. Like, it's, it's a really good event. I really like it. I really miss it, actually. So, given the situation that we are in now, we could actually host a dine-in Ramadan buffet. In theory, right. we could have. Just that with social distancing and instead of doing 50 packs, we just do 20, 20 people. We could have. But we felt that it wasn't very safe for our staff and also for the customers because, you know, when people come, they're going to say it's two people, but then actually three people show up. Right. And then four people show up, then you'll, you'll pack the store. So then the easy thing for us is to, okay, lah, don't do again this year. Lah. Right. 2021, don't do again. Or next year, when everything is over, only we do again. This is where the team came into play and then we discussed that, hey, we, we really miss that vibe. We really miss that vibe in the store and us having fun. Let's push the limits a bit. And then somebody came up. I can't remember who it was. I think it was either Desmond or one of the guys came up with the All idea. Right. Hey, uh, why don't we do a drive-in buffet? And then when that spark lit, right? right? When that fire was lit, then it was just like a forest fire. Like everyone was wow. just throwing their ideas in, you know, how we can make it cooler, how we can put balloons in, how we're going to set it up, how we're going to execute. And that's what I really, really appreciate from my team. Like with the freedom that they have, they can actually pull all these sort of things together. Mm. Because the idea is not mine. Like, right. yes, I pushed along and said that I missed the vibe yeah. and I missed that, but they came up with the final idea. Yeah, I mean, the fact that, you know, they're willing to give their input as well. Yes. Yeah, that's something that is... I mean, they feel safe to give their opinion on it, you yes. know? And how's that been going so far, the Ramadan drive-in buffet? Uh, we sold out all, every night. We sold wow. out every night. But it's not a lot of people. It's actually just more for us to have fun and us to make a bit of buzz in on our social media. Mm. Yeah, we, we sold out almost every night. But we're not talking a huge amount of participants, right? We're not talking about a huge amount of participants. Yeah. Right. Okay, we're just going to take a quick break now, okay, right? Okay. So, yeah. Hey, friends and book lovers. I am Honey. And I'm Diana. And we're from the Two Book Nerds Talking Podcast. Our homegrown Malaysian podcast features interviews with authors both local and international, as well as book reviews, bookish topics, and tons of other exciting nerd-out content. Just look up the Two Book Nerds Talking Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on your favourite podcast app. Hope we see you there soon. I want to talk about the biggest elephant in the room right now, right? Which is 
COVID-19, right? Okay. So 2020, it was a year where a lot of business owners were taken aback by this whole situation yes. where no dine-ins are allowed, you know, only takeaways and deliveries. But even with that, you don't get the same amount of traffic that you used to, yes, right? Yes, of course. And I want to know from your perspective, right? You currently have 26 outlets? Yes. Yes. What was it like in the perspective of a business owner knowing that there is a virus lingering around that might actually stop your business from functioning? First priority for me is very simple. Make sure that our guys get paid. That to right. me is by far the most important. We are very fortunate in the sense that even if we don't get a salary for you know a couple of months, six months, we are still okay. It's it's the guys that are making you know two three thousand ringgit three four thousand ringgit that they have to continue their lives and they will struggle because of very low savings rates. So right. my first priority is how do we make sure we can continue sustaining the business without cutting salaries for any of the employees and continue to pay them on time. Given the uncertainty, especially in the first three weeks, it was quite scary. Like, right, right. It was quite scary. Like the burn rate was very high and all that stuff. But ultimately, we managed to pull through because we were fairly early adopters to the delivery and the uh, and the online scene. Even before COVID, like in 2019, we were already on Grab Food. We were the first. We were one of the first merchants on Uber Eats at that point in time. Mm. So we are quite early adopters. So we are lucky rather than good. Like. I don't think right. we're that good. I think we're very right. lucky that we were just doing a lot of different things mm -hmm. and then we managed to pull through and uh, yeah, we're very glad to, we're very glad that we didn't have to cut any of our staff salary. We didn't have to defer any form of pay. Mm. Uh, everyone was still business as usual. Uh, of course, the only thing that was affected was the extra overtime hours. Mm. But base salary wise, we didn't have to uh, do anything for any of our staff. Right. Did you actually had to lay off some employee? No, no. zero. Up zero. till this day, zero. Up to this day, zero. Wow. We didn't lay anyone off. We didn't cut anyone's salary. Mm. Yeah. After that first spike of COVID-19, I would say pandemic, right? It definitely caused a lot of... I work in yes. F&B myself, right? Okay. And I can definitely see it take a toll on the shop, that, uh, the, the restaurant that I'm currently working at. Where are you working? I'm, I'm working in Rage. Rage Coffee. Rage. Oh, yep, yep, yeah. Yeah. So that's the one where I'm working at. And... It definitely took a huge toll. But I'm in no position to talk about rage because I'm just an employee at the right, end of the right. day, right? But I can see the effect of it. And then once it starts really slowing down, right? We see the rise again. We start going up again. Yes. And then it happens again. Yeah. Right? So the yo-yo yeah. is the one that gets yeah. us, right? The yo-yo right. is the one that really gets us. Exactly. Because it's it's a constant uh, uncertainty, you yes. know? It's, it's so vague. And so now that the cases are rising up again, right? Yes. How do you plan to adapt to this pandemic now? We just entered PKP, didn't we? Yes. Right. Tomorrow. We're entering tomorrow. tomorrow. Right. We're entering tomorrow. PKP. PKP, PPP, PPP, I don't know. Yeah. How many, I don't know. I don't know what, what are we entering, right? I don't know what are we entering. I, I think as early as mid last week, we were already quite concerned about the cases. Mm. We've had three close encounters personally, you know, right. category C exposure. Mm. So we are actually quite I, I mean, I want to be responsible. So the moment we got category C exposure, we stay at home and all that stuff. So we're already affected. But on our side, we can't overplan the situation. The well, what do you mean by it? You, you you can't sit down there and say what's gonna happen next, what's gonna happen next, right? You sort of recognize that it's coming, but you don't worry too much about it because the entire market is worried about it anyway. Mm. You're not dealing with something that is only company specific. It's right. the entire market is gonna to have to deal with it. So I would say be flexible and see what happens then at that point in time and then address the issues as they come along. Mm. Because we knew MCO 1.0 came in some shape or form. 
MCO 2.0 came in another shape or form. MCO 3.0, nobody knows what form it is at the right. moment, right? right? So it's a matter of being flexible and then making sure that we have enough bullets to pull through. La. Because if something bad does happen to the company, at least we can look back and say we've done everything that we can. As opposed to we just sat at the sides or we over plan and then everything gets thrown out the window. Right. What about like your, your operation, right? Like... Uh, <clears throat> Correct me if I'm wrong, but you do have some of some of the ingredients that you use are imported internationally, yes. right? And how do you overcome that particular part? That one you plan quite far ahead. Th- those imported international that we import on our own is a three to six month forecast. Ah. So we actually do that uh, quite a fair bit. We also work with quite a few of our suppliers. During MCO 1.0 and 2.0, some of our suppliers were actually caught up pretty badly. They were oversupplied, then undersupplied, then oversupplied again because of the yo-yo effect. Right. So to the extent that we can, I think constant communication with our suppliers was quite important. Like for example, our milk is 100% local and the moment we stop taking the milk, the farmers don't get paid. And the moment the farmers don't get paid because our supplier buys the milk from the farmers, the cows don't get fed. Right. They don't get fed with what they need to be fed in order to be milked. Mm. And then the milk supply will drop. When the cow's milk supply drop, it's hard to get the milk supply up again because right. it's a natural process, right? Mm. So yeah, we how, how do we work with our suppliers to make sure that there's a solution for them and see them as partners as opposed to just pure, hey, I pay you this amount, you take yeah. this amount and then not, not my problem, you're going to worry about it, like, it's your problem. How do we work together with them? I think through constant communication and being supportive, that is always looking for a win-win situation. Mm. You're still very deeply involved with all the conversation between these suppliers and all I that? I think not day-to-day ordering, but major decision, definitely. And I still keep you know, quite close contact with you know the key account managers mm. and our key account guys and see them once every quarter, once every six months just to make sure that communication channels right. continue to remain open. Going back to that conversation of like laying off employees and all that and many companies have definitely decided to go to that route, right? Of laying off and you know maybe cutting off their pay, the, the employees' yep. pay and all that. However, you have chosen a different route where you had to cut off your own pay, right? The, uh, my philosophy is that we are very lucky in the sense that we we actually have a, a good amount of right, savings on our right, side right, right. Uh, and we can actually survive. It's actually the guys that, that, are, that are going to be doing the stuff for us six months after MCO right. that we should be taking care of. That's really, really important as an executive staff or, you know, general manager, me, Shuli, like... I know for a fact that if you don't have any savings, like you guys have been spending your money wrong. <laughs> right? So let's let's sacrifice a bit because don't forget that these are the guys, the floor staff are the guys, the production staff, the operators are the guys that is going to be taking care of us six mm. months from now when the market comes back or one year from now when the market comes back. And I can guarantee you the market will come back. Mm. It's not a matter of if it comes back, it's a matter of when it comes back. Right. Yeah. So do the right thing by your guys. Uh. Mm. So, you know, when you first started this uh, inside school business, right, the, back then there was not much demand for like localized made ice cream and all, mm. like you said, right? Yeah. How do you feel now that more competitions are rising in the market and yep. what are your plans on staying on top of the competition? Competition coming in is a good thing uh, right. because it shows, that, it shows that the market is ripe for, ripe for that sort of demand. So that's great. In terms of what we're doing, I think we continue to stay true to our brand and stay true to our core focus. Know what they are doing, but don't get too distracted by what they are doing and copying. Because 
people like us for what we do don't try and be a me too business uh, mm. for me that's very clear I don't, I'm not interested in being a me too business I see this person doing that oh I want to do so I see that right. person doing that I also want to do then it doesn't become as focused as before la. there are going to be guys that perform better than you there are mm. going to be guys that perform worse than you the more important measure is yourself uh, mm. Yeah, you know, I've I've watched some of your interviews, right? And I noticed that you are very strong on that particular part of not following the trend, if you might say. Wait, what? Why is that? Why? Why do you think that? My personal metric of success is if Inside Scoop is here twenty years from now, then I'm successful. Mm. Not so much on how much money I make this year, next year, or like last year. So if you look at that metric of success, twenty or thirty years from now, Inside Scoop is still around. We have to do things that are more longer term in nature mm. not so short term in nature that can actually have an impact on your long term staying power right. so we, I mean we've been in business for seven and a half eight years now eight years was it? Eight yeah, years, eight eight years, years yeah. almost eight years now and we've seen all these trends come and go right whether it is your uh, boba was, tea boba tea was <laughs> very recent and then there was the yogurt drinks yeah. which was which was fairly recent before mm. that there was uh, the Taiwanese cake what was it? The, the jiggly that? jiggly cake is it? No, the the egg, the 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 sponge cake, the one. Right. What was it really? Yeah, uh, it was two or three years ago. Uh, it was all over the place. Mm. That and then you see cheese tarts and all that right. stuff. So I mean, it's it's an amazing business, right? Like those sort of things, they did they did amazingly well during the the peak. But it's not it's not it's just not in our DNA right. to go and pursue that sort of. But uh, do you think like? those kind of business approach, right? Do you think it's actually a good starting point for someone who just want to start? Like, for example, let's say Boba Tea is uh, really growing right yeah. now. I don't want to get into FNB, but right now, since FNB is the starting platform, yes. do you think that's advisable? I think it's 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 right. your personal journey, right? You decide what how you want to play it. Mm. If you think that it works for you and you, you want to take that risk, by all means, go ahead. Because in every cycle there are people or there are brands that stay after the cycle anyway. Mm. So it's not to say that the moment there's a bust, then the entire category just falls out. There are still bubble tea guys that will hear, you know, like the Kong Cha, the Tea Lai, the Cha right. so that, that Despite three or four different cycles, they're still around. Like the cheese tarts as well. There are, there are still guys that are around today and they still do fairly well. It's just that you don't see that that same amount of craze over it. So yeah, go into it with your eyes open yeah. and if depends on what your success metric is. Like if mm. you want to just ride the wave, which is great, or you're here to go and learn a couple of things and then wait for the next thing or actually learn a couple of things so that your next idea, right. you can execute better. By all means, go for it. You know, speaking of Boba Tea, I still remember that road in SS15 last time. It was yeah, so jammed just because of every... I was one of them too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for a good three months, right? For yeah, a good three or six months, that, 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 the volumes were insane, mm. right? But uh, yeah, I'm not such a... I personally am not such a fan because I like to build stuff. I'm right. like the I like I like I like I'm like the Lego guy like <laughs> your Lego set. Yeah. I like to build stuff, right? And right. then it's it's part of the journey, uh, as opposed to yeah, just buy the box, open the box, and I want to see the thing at the end. No, I I like I like the building part. I think that's where yeah. I have a lot of fun. I look up to that. I look up to people who really enjoy the journey rather than looking up at the destination of this wonderful life that they might get and all that. And yeah. whenever people talk about journey, right, it really. Ah, yet again, bad choice of word. It really kind of uh, <laughs> makes my knees weak, if you might say it anyway, you know? It, it's really nice to hear when people appreciate the journey more than the destination itself, you know? I mean, what is your destination to begin with? Yep. But anyway, what are your thoughts about Inside Scoop today compared to when 2013? Mm, I think we are very grateful for the support that we have. 
we've grown fairly well. Could it be better? Yes. Could it be worse? Yes. Uh, I think we're happy with where things are at. As I said to you, the success metric for us is if 10, 20 or 20 or 30 years from now, it's still a recognizable brand that people get excited over, I think we would have done our job because we would have imbued it with our DNA that continues to stay relevant and fresh. And when I mean stay around, I don't mean stay around like some brand that is forgotten, that Mm. is still relevant in the market, in in the premium ice cream category 20 years from now. I think that'd be amazing. You mentioned that you are grateful for the support that your customers and audience have given to you, right? I have one question. This is coming from me myself. What are some of the craziest ideas that you have had to show that you appreciate the support from the audience? And do you think that this kind of activities of thanking your audience or your market, if you might say that way, plays a big role to the success that you have yeah, achieved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to, inverted comma, give out free ice cream during our anniversaries. Mm-hmm. Like one free scoop for every customer. Uh, it sort of evolved to two or three ringgit now, but it's still like really, very cheap. It's definitely below our cost. Right. We used to do it until 2019. 2020, we couldn't do it. This year, we can't do it as well. So it's one of those things that we still like to do. We like to give. So last year in 2020, we actually changed that giving to customers to giving to frontliners no questions asked mm. so if you're a frontliner during our anniversary period you come in and just say that you're a frontliner we give you a scoop of ice cream for free wow. like whether you're a doctor whether you're a nurse or whether you're a grab driver or you're a delivery guy like just come in and just say that you're a frontliner and eat ice cream for free but do you actually get like those frontliners coming yeah, and asking yeah, for it yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. quite a fair bit quite a bit. I think we gave out uh, 30,000 scoops wow what yeah, we gave out 30,000 scoops. Uh, to this uh, frontliners. Front front wow. So now, you have reached a point where you have 26 outlets in Malaysia, right? Locally. Yeah. Right? And I don't think you're going to stop making more stores. Or maybe, do you think you want to expand more? or For us, because the company is largely self-funded, we decide, we, we grow on our, on our own terms. Mm-hmm. We will continue to grow if there's opportunity to do so. But we don't have to grow for the sake of growing. We've also just opened our first Singapore outlet in Ooh. January, uh, early February. So some energy is actually going into that and right. then we'll just see how it goes from there. Singapore, right? I mean, in terms of food consumption, they're pretty much very similar to Malaysia. So if you were to introduce like oh, a local a Singaporean taste. that. Yeah. <laughs> Singaporean food, Malaysian food, that's the... <laughs> right. That's... So like, do you think it'll be a good idea if you were to like introduce a Malaysian product per se like flavor like gula melaka to Singapore do you think they'll actually that's quite similar the ingredients are quite similar a Singaporean will never say Malaysian food is better and Malaysian will never never say say Singaporean food is better (laughs) Uh, but yeah you just have to localize the taste a bit but it works it works so like gula melaka onde onde is one of our popular Mm. flavors there now because of Hari Raya and it's the same Mm. onde onde that you have here but let's let's say right if you were to open an outlet in other parts of uh, Southeast Asia do you have any plans on that? Uh, that'd be great, actually, if we can become the inside scoop of Southeast Asia as opposed to the inside scoop of Malaysia. So right. you can, if you can make a ube yam flavor in Philippines using Filipino flavors, if you can make you know alpukat ice cream in, in Indonesia and have that, I think that'll be amazing. Uh, but we're nowhere near there yet. Right. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what is the next step for you personally and which direction will inside scoop be headed? For us, growth is still important, obviously. 
But for us right now, given the level of maturity, it's about training people around us that can operate independently of us. And the greatest ideas and the best ideas and the new business strategies will actually come from the next generation of leaders. Mm. So for us, it's about making sure that we have that platform in place so that we can balance out the risk and reward for them and also the personal growth for them. Okay, so before we end the show, right, Edmund, I have one question. What is that one life lesson that you have learned throughout this eight-year journey of Inside Scoop? Life lesson, uh, slow down, uh, slow down to go fast. When I started working on Inside Scoop full-time, I tended to run at the same pace as I did when I was in investment banking. Right. So that was, you know, quite fast-paced. Guys, like, it should mm. have been done yesterday, yesterday, Grind, yesterday. hustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's great, it's great. It brought us to where we are today. But as we become more mature leader, it's also important to slow down and to listen what's happening around you and, you know, think first before you react. Uh, that's quite a good one. What was that What was that first thing you said just now? Slow down to? Uh, go slow to go fast. Go slow to go fast. Mm. Wow. I've never heard of that. It makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Is there anyone would you like to nominate on this show? I think uh, an interesting person to talk to would be uh, the guys from Roti Boy, maybe. You may want to consider. Oh, yeah. I think they've, okay. they've, they've, they've had a good run in Malaysia. I think they've, they've gone up and That's then they slowed down a bit and then they've, they've gone international. I think yeah. Hero would be a good person to talk to. Right. I just yeah. had Roti Boy this morning. When yeah, I, wow. I mean, people still have yeah. it, right? People still have it. Yeah. Yeah, you can try Roti Boy. I think that's yep. a good story. As, as in, I'm sure you get a lot of Gen Y people and Gen Z people mm. coming through. I think talking to an older guy would be interesting. Yep. I think that's a great idea. We should really look into that. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so I guess that's it for today's episode, Edmund. Thank you so much for joining us on the studio Thanks today. For me. I definitely appreciate the time. It's such an honor to be able to speak to Thank you. you, you know, Thank who you. has been running the eight-year business. The success that Inside Scoop has reached on a local market is such an amazing thing to see, you know. Thank so you. Thank, you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to Cultivating the Masses. This has been such a rare opportunity and blessful moment to be able to interview some of the best-known entrepreneurs in this country. I hope you gain tons of value on this episode. And if you love this podcast, it will mean the world to us if you would just share it with one person. Thank you for tuning in. I've been your host, Bra Latipa. See you on the next one.